have a title for this evening's comments, even though I don't exactly know how I will find them or explain them. But the, the topic or the title of this evening's comments is uh, The Door is Wide Open. And my motivation for speaking tonight about the door is wide open is because I notice in the course of my sharing with many yogis and others that there is a, a tendency to continue to do exactly what we've been doing over and over again. We are prone to habit. We are prone to repeat habits over and over and over again. And, and many of the habits that I think I can say we repeat are habits that are uh, self-defeating, that lead to a sense of, of hopelessness, of helplessness, of complaining, of negativity, of... <clears throat> feeling contracted in mind and body, in heart, and uh, then don't know what to do. Any of you ever feel that? Okay. This is just a hunch. <laughs> Today I started reflecting on... Uh, I didn't tell you why I was talking about this tonight. Because I would like to welcome you to the beginning of the next, the second 100-day retreat that I would like to support anyone here and anyone you know to do for the next 100 days. And the way I came up with this as the beginning is if you start your 100-day practice period on Thursday you will complete the 100 days on January 1st. And on January 1st, you can make a new, a new Year's resolution <laughs> to continue for another 100 days or whatever. But you will arrive at New Year's perhaps not making the same New Year's resolution that you will fail to complete then feel frustrated, then feel doubtful, then feel helpless, hopeless, negative, and go around the wheel again. This is what's called samsara, the endless wandering around and around that wheel. Because if you actually practice for a hundred days, your heart and mind and body will change. And the reason I entitled it uh, this evening's talk, The Door is Wide Open, is because I wanted to dedicate this next hundred days to widening our circle of whatever. I had the thought of widening our circle of caring and affection. I know many people, I'm in, uh, and I'm included in this category, I am incredibly frustrated frequently about the nature of our uh, political discourse, 
I have the thought frequently that the inmates are running the prison and that uh, and I often sometimes feel helpless and I know there are so many people here who feel frustrated but I know that part of our frustration is we stay and I do myself to a certain degree fortunately I'm speaking tonight so I'm widening my circle but we stay in the circle of our own internal ruminations about this. And I know there are people here who are active, but we need to, one of the ways of widening our circle over the next hundred days is to get active and do something. I know just as an example, you can contact Organizing for America, one, one uh, clearinghouse where you can find out how to volunteer, how to get active in either local, state, or national elections. There are many different ways that you could get active. Widening your circle, coming out of the tangle, as Rumi put it, coming out of the tangle of fear thinking. He says, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Come out of the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. So one way of widening our circle of consciousness is to, is to keep quiet and live in silence. So to spend a hundred days, not a hundred days in silence, even though I've done that. And it's, it's amazing. It really does widen your circle. But I'm talking about a hundred days of at least some time in the span of your day living in silence. Trying to touch that inner silence, that, the, in, to recognize that inner silence. Recognize that y- your very nature is inner silence, or is silence. And that silence pervades you and me and everything and everyone. And by that alone, if you do that a hundred days in a row, four times a day at least, you will have four hundred more moments of feeling connected to life right where life connects with you. Where you're, at least for those moments, you're not separating yourself out, pretending you're the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean. Not lost in your virtual, the virtual version of yourself playing in your mind, just silent, empty, open, sky-like, impartial, not judging, not evaluating, not comparing, not rehearsing, not, not intentionally doing any of that. Intentionally sinking and letting yourself be saturated by silence. Four times a day. Anywhere from three minutes to an hour. Anybody interested in doing that? How about the activist part? Getting active. Few people interested. I mean, we really have to. We really have to turn turn our hearts toward that widening, widening, widening circle of attention, affection, space of heart and mind. Because otherwise, we do hide away in fear and dullness and live in a. In a, in a pretty persistently contracted state and feeling disconnected and, not, and apart from the whole. And that's illusion. 
Because there's not one of us that has ever been apart from the whole. There's not any one of us that's been truly alone. We are, of course, relatively alone. Die alone, born alone. We go through a lot, relatively speaking, alone. But even in the midst of that, there is, we are, we are being contacted and contacting the life in and around us. So I wanted to read a little story, and it takes a little time. But this story, you can just superimpose whatever it is that you would like to make of your life in the next hundred days. I thought of several things. Widening the circle of loving kindness. Many of you may be interested in committing to a hundred days of loving kindness practice. Or loving days of Brahma-vihara practice, which means training in the, qual- in the, in the recovery, I should say, in the, in the reawakening of loving kindness, of compassion, of joy, of equanimity. Widening our circle of joy in general. Widening our circle of joy. After all, the whole, all of the teachings are about widening our circle of joy. You can think of it as just following the Eightfold Path. Joy in living a non-harming life. That was the first part of the Eightfold Path. The purity, the purity of action leads to the, the happiness the happiness of, uh, of blamelessness, the capacity to have the happiness of having our senses open and not constantly impinged by the, uh, by the effects of our thoughts, words, and our actions, that we can actually enjoy our life. So the, the joy that comes through purity of action, the joy that comes through purity of mind, of training our mind to stay here, to know that this present is the only place that life is. There is only now. Everything else is imagination, and it's a wonderful thing that we can imagine, but if we miss this vivid, inexhaustible present, we are walking dead people, thinking all the time, caught in our stories. You've got to reclaim. We've got to widen our circle of immediacy as well. So joy in non-harming, joy in, in developing purity of mind. Purity of mind is the cause of the joy of concentration. The joy of having a, a heart and mind that are, a heart and mind that are in the same location as our body. That sense of rapture, calm, intense interest that comes from learning to abide continuously in the present moment. That widens our circle of joy. And last, widening our circle of understanding of our interbeing and interdependentness. So depending on what you want to widen, I, often, I also thought about widening our circle of generosity. Just giving. Giving, giving, giving. Wherever we feel that impulse to give, to, to give of ourselves. It doesn't mean give to the point where you self-abandon. Because the other thing that I thought about widening our circle of was widening the circle of self-care. So when we live from, up, from, from the neck up, the tendency is to abandon our body. So widening the circle of affection to and care of this fathom-long body. Without these sense doors, without this body being healthy, really, really hard to feel connected and to feel happy, to find peace in this life. And the, 
if you think of the Eightfold Path, it is all about finding peace, finding a sense of freedom in this very life, not just imagining this someday when you will be okay, when the world is straightened out and there are no more there are no more greedy, hateful, deluded people. It isn't going to happen until you become that awakened awakened heart, that widened circle of generosity, affection, love. To widen our sense of existing as part of a, a, a whole, the world. I brought along an easy, meta, an easy reflection that you might use to remember that that we don't just, it's not just us here, that we are part of a, a wide circle of many shapes and sizes. We can so easily fall into the shroud of privilege and comfort, not notice there are so many people in this world who are suffering, causing suffering, victims of suffering. Right in our midst, we have people in this room who are uh, very close to homeless, if not homeless, who often don't have enough to eat. This is part of our world and widening our circle of understanding. I always like to read this. I haven't read it in about a year. It says, if we could shrink the Earth's population to a village of precisely 100 people with all existing human ratios remaining the same, it would look something like the following. 57 Asians, 21 Europeans, 14 from the Western Hemisphere, both North and South, 8 Africans, 52 would be female, 48 would be male, 70 would be non-white, 30 would be white, 70 would be non-Christian, not the same 70, 30 would be Christian, not the same 30, 89 would be heterosexual, 11 would be homosexual, 6 people would possess 59% of the world's wealth, all 6 would be from the United States. 80 would live in substandard housing. 70 would be unable to read. 50 would suffer from malnutrition. One would be near death. One would be near birth. One, yes, only one would have a college education. One would own a computer. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you were more blessed than a million who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend temple, church, or other religious meeting, Without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than three billion people in the world. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish someplace, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If your parents are still alive and still married, you are very rare, even in the U.S. and Canada. 
If you can read this message, you just received another blessing and that you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world that cannot read it all. Just additional notes. In the U.S., the average assets for whites is $95,000, where for non-whites, the average assets is, are 16000 54% of whites invest in stocks, 16% of non-whites. So we've got some, we've got some issues of, narrow, of having our mind in such a narrow shroud. It's innocent, in a way, because the shroud of privilege, you don't even realize you're privileged until something widens our circle. So not to have this be the cause of any self-judgment, but more of an invitation to widen your sensitivity to the world that you live in. So I wanted to read a little story that talks more about, not so much about all these social, political issues, the issues with our mind and our body, but really the inspiration to begin to plant seeds and to do it for a hundred days and know that and and see what the result could be. Some of you may have heard this story before. It takes a while, so just kick back. Don't be in a rush for me to finish. Or if you are, just notice the rushing mind. Notice impatience. This might even help your circle of patience a little. This is entitled The Daffodils. Several times my daughter had telephoned to say, Mother, you must come and see the daffodils before they are over. I wanted to go, but it was a two-hour drive from Laguna to Lake Arrowhead. Going and coming took most of a day, and I honestly did not have a free day until the following week. I will come next Tuesday, I promised, a little reluctantly on her third call. Next Tuesday, Tuesday downed cold and rainy. Still, I had promised, and so I drove the length of Route 91, continued to I-215, finally turned into Route 18, and began to drive up the mountain highway. The tops of the mountains were sheathed in clouds, and I had gone only a few miles when the road was completely covered in a wet gray blanket of fog. I slowed to a crawl, my heart pounding. The road becomes narrow and winding toward the top of the mountain. As I executed the hazardous turn at a, small, at a snail's pace, I was praying to reach the turnoff at Blue Jay that would signify I had arrived. When I finally walked into Carolyn's house and hugged and greeted my grandchildren, I said, Forget the daffodils, Carolyn. The road is invisible, the clouds and fog, and there is nothing in the world except you and these darling children that I want to see bad enough to drive another inch. My daughter smiled calmly. We drive in it all the time, Mother. Well, you won't get, back, you won't get me back on the road until it clears, and then I'm heading for home. I assured her. I was hoping you'd take me over to the garage to pick up my car. The mechanic just called, and they're finished repairing the engine, she answered. How far will we have to drive, I asked cautiously. Just a few blocks, Carolyn said cheerfully. So we buckled up the children and went out to my car. I'll drive, Carolyn offered. I'm used to this. We got into the car and she began driving. In a few minutes, I was aware that we were back on the rim of the world road, heading over the top of a mountain. Where are we going, I exclaimed, distressed to be back on the mountain road in the fog. This, is, this isn't the way to the garage. We're going to... <laughs> 
We're going to my garage the long way, Carolyn smiled, by way of the daffodils. Carolyn, I said sternly, trying to sound as if I was still the mother and in charge of the situation, please turn around. There's nothing in the world that I want to see enough to drive on the, this road in this weather. It's all right, mother, she replied with a knowing grin. I know what I'm doing. I promise you will never forgive yourself if you miss this experience. And so my sweet, darling daughter, who had never given me a minute of difficulty her whole life, was suddenly in charge, and she was kidnapping me. I couldn't believe it. Like it or not, I was on the way to see some ridiculous daffodils driving through the thick gray silence of the mist-wrapped mountain top. At what I thought was the risk of life and limb, I muttered all the way. After about 20 minutes, we turned onto a small gravel road that branched down into an oak-filled hollow on the side of the mountain. The fog had lifted a little, but the sky was lowering, gray and heavy with clouds. We parked in a small parking lot adjoining the little stone church. From our vantage point at the top of the mountain, we could see beyond us in the midst the crest of the blues of the San Bernardino Range and the dark, humped back of herds of elephants, like the dark humpbacks of a herd of elephants. Far below us, you know, I need my reading glasses, sorry about that. Far below us in the fog-shrouded valleys, hills, and flatlands, stretched away to the desert. On the far side of the church, I saw a pine-needle-covered path with towering evergreens, manzanita bushes, and an inconspicuous letter sign, Daffodil Garden. We each took a child's hand, and I followed Carolyn down the path as it wound through the trees. The mountain sloped away from the side of the path in irregular dips, folds, and valleys like a deeply creased skirt. Live oaks, mountain laurels, shrubs, and bushes clustered in the folds and in the gray, dizzying air, drizzling air. The green foliage looked dark and monochromatic. I shivered. Then we turned a corner of the path, and I looked up and gasped. Before me lay the most glorious sight, unexpectedly and completely splendid. It looked as though someone had taken a great vat of gold and poured it down over the mountain peak and slopes where it had run into every crevice and over every rise. Even in the mist-filled air, the mountainside was radiant, clothed in massive drifts of waterfalls of daffodils. The flowers were planted in majestic swirling patterns, great ribbons and swaths of deep orange, white, lemon yellow, salmon pink, saffron, and butter yellow. Each different colored variety, I learned later that there were more than 35 varieties of daffodils in this vast display, was planted as a group so that it swirled and flowed like its own river with its own unique hue. In the center of this incredible and dizzying display of gold, a great cascade of purple grape hyacinth flowed down like a waterfall of blossoms framed in its own rock-lined basin weaving through the brilliant daffodils. A charming path wound through the garden. There were several resting stations paved with stone and furnished with Victorian wooden benches, great tubs of coral and carmine tulips, as though this was not magnificent enough, Mother Nature had to add her own grace note. Above the daffodils, a bevy of western bluebirds flitted and darted, flashing their brilliance. These charming little birds were the color of sapphires with breasts of magenta red. 
As they danced in the air, their colors were truly like jewels above the blowing, glowing daffodils. The effect was spectacular. It did not matter that the sun was not shining. The brilliance of the daffodils was like the glow of the brightest sunlit day. Words, wonderful as they are, simply cannot describe the incredible beauty of that flower-bedecked mountaintop. Five acres of flowers. This, too, I discovered later when some of my questions were answered. But who has done this? I asked Carolyn. I was overflowing with gratitude that she brought me, even against my will. This was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Who, I asked again, almost speechless with wonder. And how and why and when? It's just one woman. Carolyn answered, she lives on the property. That's her home. Carolyn pointed to a well-kept A-frame house that looks small and modest in the midst of all that glory. We walked up to the house, my mind buzzing with questions. On the patio, we saw a poster. Answers to the questions I know you are asking was the headline. The first answer was a simple one, 50,000 bulbs. It read, the second answer was one at a time. By one woman, two hands, two feet, and a very little brain. The third answer was, began in 1958. There it was, the daffodil principle. For me, that moment was a life-changing experience. I thought of this woman who I had never met, who more than 35 years before had begun one bulb at a time to bring her vision of beauty and joy to an obscure mountaintop, one bulb at a time. There was no other way to do it. One bulb at a time, no shortcuts, simply loving the slow process of planting, loving the work as it unfolded, loving an achievement that grew so slowly that bloomed for only three weeks of each year, still just planting one bulb at a time, year after year, had changed the world. The unknown woman had forever changed the world in which she lived. She had created something of ineffable magnificence, beauty, and inspiration. The principle her daffodil garden taught is one of the greatest principles of celebration, learning to move toward our goals and desires one step at a time, often just one baby step at a time, learning to love the doing, learning to use the accumulation of time. When we multiply tiny pieces of time with small increments of daily effort, we too will find we can accomplish magnificent things. We can change the world. Carol and I said that morning on the top of the mountain as we left the haven of daffodils, our minds and hearts still bathed and bemused by the splendors we had seen, it's as though that remarkable woman has needle-pointed the earth. Decorate it. Just think of it. She planted every single bulb, bulb for more than 30 years, one bulb at a time. That's the only way this garden could be created. Every individual bulb had to be planted. There was no way of short-circuiting the process. Five acres of blooms, that magnificent cascade of hyacinth, all, all, just one bulb at a time. The thought of it filled my mind. I was suddenly overwhelmed with the implications of what I had seen, it makes me sad in a way, I admitted to Carolyn, 
what I might have accomplished if I had thought of a wonderful goal 35 years ago and worked away at it one bulb at a time through all those years. Just think of it, I might have been able to achieve. My wise daughter put the car into gear, summed up the message of the day in her direct way, start tomorrow. She said with, some, with the same knowing smile she had worn for most of the morning, Oh, profound wisdom. It is pointless to think of the lost hours of yesterdays. The way to make learning a lesson of celebration instead of a cause for regret is to only ask, How can I put this to use tomorrow? I think this uh, speaks for itself. And I just want to give you a little bit of a sense of how you might... Next week, we'll, I want you to start whatever practice you're doing, but next week I want to create the opportunity for people to find a buddy to check in with. So this is really done wonderfully in twos. And we'll talk more about that next week. And... I just hope that you find something that you would like to expand, some bulb that you would like to plant. And I will leave you with the words of, of Hafiz, just a small portion of one of his poems called To Build a Swing. He gives you the bad news first. You carry all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare. Don't mix them. And then later on he says, you carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them, mix them. So I wish you uh, good luck in your 100-day retreat, in your whatever, your extended, your lifetime retreat of planting seeds, bulbs every day. And just get active. Stop complaining and do something and it can be inner or outer it doesn't matter whatever moves your heart so as usual I'd like us to just sit for a moment quietly you don't have to change postures just just remember as we sit here just touching life where it touches us where we connect with all things, all beings everywhere. That our life, our work, our practice has reverberations. It has results. Whatever we think, whatever we do, whatever we say, it has results and it affects not just ourselves but everyone. So as we do each week, we consider that if there's been, at least tonight, if there's been any benefit, any fruit, any goodness, any blessing, any goodness that's arisen from our time together, that we share it consciously uh, with all beings and punctuate it, send it with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness increasing, all those ways that we talked about. That all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing. And a deep wish that all beings can recognize the sacred happiness, freedom that is free of sorrow, only to be found here and now. And not postpone this, not wait, 
not let another moment pass without planting that seed of remembering our natural freedom. And a deep wish at least that our hearts and minds grow in serenity and equanimity so that we are so much less reactive, grasping and aversive to the things, the people, the situations, insurance companies, everything that's so hard to bear, near and afar. And a deep wish that our, again, that our life, our work, our practice be dedicated today and every day to the welfare and benefit of all beings. Now let's all plant some daffodils. May all beings be liberated. Thanks for listening. And Thursday is the starting day. If you want to end on January 1st, have a few announcements, if you don't mind. Waiting a few moments. Uh, we're looking for volunteers who can commit to coming one Tuesday per month to help set up and break down the church. And this will be in groups of two. This will require, you don't have to volunteer as a couple, but It'll be two people. It won't just be you alone. This will require coming to sit early around 7 o'clock and staying late once every month. And late means an extra 15 minutes or so. If you're interested, please talk to Anne, who's right here, Tara, who is right there, after the sit. And as usual, a reminder that our room costs us $150 a week. And we can widen our circle of generosity by practicing room rental dana. And teaching is offered freely. And one of the ways of practicing dana is uh, you practicing freely, supporting the teacher, the teaching, whatever, whoever is sitting in this seat. So thank you in advance for your generosity on both fronts. Just know that there are many ways to to uh, offer Donna here, and one is through cash in the basket, another through checks to the church that we use, the St. John the Evangelist Church, and that makes it tax deductible. And we have also on the website, we have a PayPal if, if that's what works for you. But thank you for your generosity, and thanks for your practice. And Madison, do you want to uh, speak or no? Quick announcement. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, I'm looking for housing beginning in October for renting a room. And if you have a room or know of a room, you can come and see me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.